0: as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Well, hey, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is where we're going to be this morning. Maybe it's a familiar psalm to you. Maybe it's the first time you ever heard it. Uh, but here, here's a question I got for you today. How many of you are like, like, you love history? Anybody like history in the room? All right, great, good, good. How many of you don't like history? All right. We love you in Jesus' name, All right. So I want have you ever heard of a guy, those of you who like <laughs> love history, have you ever heard of a guy named Martin Luther? Yeah. So Martin Luther, he's the guy, like here's the deal. Uh, he had some issues with the church and so he took his thesis, 95 of them, and nailed them on the door of the church. You can't do that here. You got problems here. <laughs> don't nail anything on the door of the church. It'll shatter, okay? <laughs> don't do that. So in, in 1517, Martin Luther Uh, went and he started, uh, God used him to usher in what's known as the Protestant Reformation. And uh, he's kind of a well-known dude, uh, and he loved psalm 46 psalm 46 was known in church history has been known in church history as luther's psalm and he wrote a very very famous hymn uh, that if you grew up especially if you grew up in the church grew up in high church pipe organ church you probably sang a mighty fortress is our god anybody ever sang that song a mighty fortress is our god some of you do yeah it's great it's an awesome song i love it i can sit here and sing it to you right now but i won't all right and you're probably glad all right um so Martin Luther, he, he wrote this Psalm, but he wrote it like, he, he wrote it a few years. He wrote it in 1527, about 10 years after the Protestant Reformation. And when he wrote it, everything in his life was like in, in trouble. One of the things that Martin Luther had is he had this acute buzzing in his ear. I mean, could you imagine just to have it nonstop buzzing? Some of you, maybe you have that. And it's like it was driving him literally insane. He thought he was dying. And then uh, on top of that, he had intestinal issues, some GI issues. He was having some problems with that, heart issues, kidney stones, all in 1527. And then on top of all of that, there was a plague that entered into Germany, swept into his town and his house, he and his wife, Katie, opened their home to be a host for all these sick people. And in the midst of all of that, he wrote a hymn based on Psalm 46. And this Psalm became kind of a source of strength in his life. And here's what, he, here's what he wrote. He says, we sing this psalm to the praise of God because he is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against implacable hatred of the devil, against all the assaults of the world, the flesh and sins. So That's why we sing this song to fight the devil. As a matter of fact, Martin Luther said that when you sing, the devil flees. And so today, we're going to turn to Psalm 47. And just as it is Luther's psalm, it is your psalm. It is a song that you can turn to when everything around you seems to be falling apart. It is a psalm that you can have in your heart to help you in times of crisis. So let's stand as we read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariot with fire. Now let's read verse 10 together. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah, you may be seated. This psalm is written by a group, a musical group called the Sons of Korah. Uh, Their daddy uh, or their great, 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 great grandpappy was a guy named Korah. And Korah is not necessarily one of the greatest biblical heroes in the Bible. He started a rebellion against a guy named Moses. He led 250 other of his closest friends to basically try to do a coup d'etat against Moses and God judged Korah. And the Bible says that the earth opened up and swallowed Korah and all 250 of those who rebelled against God. That would be interesting. Just so that you know, right? And yet the sons of Korah weren't in that rebellion. Their dad, their grandpa, whatever. And so the sons of Korah was a part of a a worship band, a worship leading group of of Levites who would lead worship for centuries in the house of God. And so they were like Maverick City. They were like the Gaithers, okay? They just keep going and going and going. And so they continued and they throughout the centuries wrote all kinds of new worship songs. And, and 12 of them are actually in the book of Psalms. And so t- there are 12 songs that are written by the sons of Korah. Now, the reason I bring that up to you is because what it tells us is that God does not judge you based on the sins of your parents. Aren't you glad? And aren't you glad as parents that God doesn't judge your children on the basis of your sin? That their future is not dependent upon your past. And that God has a future for you that is great and it is specifically for you. So here the Psalm 46 was written, most scholars believe, by a dude named Asaph, who was a son of Korah, one of the sons of Korah. And it was written during a time of Israel's greatest triumphs. There's a guy named Hezekiah who was the king. There was an army that was trying to destroy the the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. And God provided a miraculous delivery. And after that, a song was written. And that was Psalm 46. And what this psalm teaches us is this. This psalm teaches us to trust in God whose protection gives us security, whose presence gives us joy, and whose power gives us victory. That's what this psalmist teaches. So let's unpack that. Number one God's protection gives us security. Verse one God is our refuge. What is a refuge? A refuge is a place you flee to for protection. So like, if if you ever been out and you're out walking and, and all of a sudden the rain just starts coming out of nowhere, what do you do? You flee for protection. So that's a refuge somewhere to keep you from the elements. Well, here, God is the one who protects us. And one of the things that this Psalmist wants us to be aware of is that there is no one or nothing that can protect us like our God. And the good news about this particular Psalm, this Psalm, this verse does not have an expiration date. One thing that you notice here is it's in the present tense that God is not a refuge that was or not a refuge that will be, but he is our refuge right now. Proverbs puts it, puts it this way. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it. The righteous woman runs into it and they are safe. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. The eternal God is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. You are held up by the everlasting God in the everlasting arms. And so the psalmist here says that the Lord God is our refuge, but he also is our strength. If you think of refuge being external, think of strength being internal. That God not only protects you from the elements, but he empowers you to survive and to thrive in the worst cases that you face, the worst crisis that you face. What you see here is that God is the, gives you the internal tenacity. That God alone is the source of your strength and God alone is the strength of your life that he provides inner strength to keep going and going like the Energizer bunny. You keep going and going. You keep going and breathing and fighting and walking and running. It just gives you the strength to keep on keeping on. Now here's a reality. Who you run to or what you run to first when trouble hits tells you who is your refuge and your strength. You with me on that one? And what I have found in my own personal life is that there are many times that I don't run to God when I'm in trouble. You know who we often run to when we're in trouble? We'll run to other people. And so sometimes for some of you, your refuge is a family member. It could be your spouse, it could be your children, it could be your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, could be your family, it could also be a friend, it could be your, your best friend, it could be someone that you work with, somebody that thinks like you and, and, and gives you encouragement. And, and normally when we're in trouble, the first call we make is typically to those per- people. We, we call them, we really want them to kind of know what's going on in our lives, But the psalmist says that God should be our refuge. The second thing that we'll do when we're in trouble is that we'll look for escapes. We'll look for all kinds of other things to run to because we wanna numb the pain. We we wanna escape the unpleasant realities of life. And so when we're going through times of stress, when we're going through times of crisis, we just wanna kinda chill and watch Netflix. We want to binge watch. We want to do something to kind of get our minds off the problem. And so we'll take a CBD gummy, right? Some of y'all heathens, you know what I'm talking about there. Or we're going to go to the pill box or we're going to go to the bottle. We're going to go look to something to kind of get our minds off the problem here. Or we're going to look to uh, relationships or pornography or sexual type things to kind of help us feel better about what's going on. And that's who we run to. We'll run to other people. We'll run to other things, but you know who most of us run to when we're in trouble? Ourselves. And we we will run to our intellect, and, and we we go through a crisis. We're like, well, hey, I can figure this out. I'm pretty smart, you know. I've got a degree from the University of Kentucky. I mean, that does mean something, you know. If you got two dollars, you can spell your name. You can get one too. All right. <laughs> or we look to our abilities, or our charisma, or our talent. Our ingenuity. Listen, the, uh, one pastor said this. I love what he said. The three most dangerous words you can ever say are this. I got this. It's the three most dangerous words you can say. According to the Bible, anything you run to other than God in times of crisis is never going to be enough. According to the Bible, anything that you look to to be the source and strength of your life and the refuge in the midst of the storm will not be enough, they'll let you down. Because they won't be able to withstand the pressure. It's like putting up a paper towel over your head in the middle of a hurricane. What do you think that's gonna do? You know, some of y'all, how many of y'all like going to the beach? Anybody like going to the beach? Some of you do, some of you like going to the beach? I mean, you live in Naples, <laughs> I'm not much of a beach goer, and here's why. I don't tan, I burn. Anybody else got that problem? Amen. And so like when I put sunscreen on, I'm not putting SPF 30 on. I'm putting like SPF 100. All right? And now that things are thinning off at the top, I got to like wear, I got to put extra stuff up there. Anybody else, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about? You say, well, preacher, wear a hat. I don't look good in a hat, okay? I just don't. So anyway, so the other day we went to the beach and we were out there and I slathered up, you know, all kinds of stuff. Makes me look more like, you know, like a weirdo. Um, And so I was out there and, and reading a book. Out there, I've got like SBF 70 on. So I'm out there, we come back home. I'm like, man, I'm sunburned. I'm like, what in the world? So I did some research. I got on the Google machine. And here's what I found this SBF stuff is a racket. <laughs> Pure racket. As a matter of fact, you know the difference between SBF 30 and SBF 50? SBF, now, nah, if there's a dermatologist in the room, <laughs> I'm going to get an email. Again, this is what Google says, all right? (laughs) Google doesn't lie. So SPF 30 protects you from, it it only allows 3% of the ultraviolet rays to get you. Okay, that's 30. 50 allows 2%. 70, nobody knows. (laughs) And so what the dermatologist that I looked up on the Google machine said was this. They said very high SPFs create a false sense of security. People who use them tend to stay out in the sun longer. They skip reapplying and they don't think they need shade. They don't wear a hat and they don't cover up in clothing. And therefore, they end up getting a lot more UV damage than those who use lower SPFs. According to this dermatologist, it's important for us to not rely on high SPF sunscreen alone. You know what a lot of us are doing? We're slathering up on SPF. I got this. And guess what? You ain't got this. Because when the sun beats down on you, no matter how much you slather it on of yourself, no matter how much you slather on all these substances, no matter how much you slather on other people, it will not be enough. You will get burnt. That's why God must be your refuge. God must be your strength. Why? Because he is a very present help in time of trouble. That word very present help means a readiness to be found or enough for any situation. Literally, very present means well proved. That God is and always faithful and available. That he is as close to you as your next breath because he's always to be found. He's always accessible. He's never sleeping. He's never busy. His phone does not go on. Do not disturb. You don't get a voicemail with God. Hello, this is God. I cannot take your call right now. But if you leave your name and your number, I'll send an angel. No. He's in time, on time, every time. A very present help in trouble. That word is in tight places. That when the going gets tough, God doesn't take off. God is there. Spurgeon put it best. He says he never withdraws himself from his afflicted. He is their help truly, effectually, constantly. He is present or near them, close at their side and ready for their relief. He is more present than friend or relative can be, more nearly present than even the trouble itself. He is a friend in need and a friend indeed. That's just verse one. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, what's the therefore therefore? In light of all that we just said, because God is our strength, because God is our refuge, because God is always there, we will not fear. And then he qualifies it. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved, though the, though the sea roar and foam. In other words, if the whole world seems to be falling in all around me, I'm not going to be afraid. When the foundations of my life seem to be unraveling, when things seem to be out of control, I will not fear. We've all had moments where things seem to go upside down. We've all had moments where we felt like our life was just falling apart or unraveling. Some of you, maybe even this week, you felt a moment in your life in which you felt that everything you ever knew, the foundations of your life were completely shattered. Maybe you've had a loved one die. Maybe you've had a friend to stab you in the back and betray you. Maybe you lost your job or, or maybe your family is all dysfunctional. Maybe there's more month than you've got money Maybe you're in a bad health crisis. The psalmist is saying that when God is your refuge, when God is your strength, who is always to be found, you have nothing to fear. And then notice that little word at the end of verse three, Selah. Most scholars believe this is a musical interlude. And so sometimes like when we're singing and we're singing a song and it's going. And then all of a sudden there's nobody singing and like somebody sitting there playing. And it just sounds so good. The reason why you have these musical interludes is so that you can kind of think about and let what you just sang sink into you. So this word "sela" is kind of a pause. It's a, it's basically stop and reflect on what you just said. You know, sometimes we come to church and you understand that when you sing some songs, you are singing some dynamite truth that if you truly believed it would change your life. We sing stuff all the time, I'm not even sure we believe. Seriously. And so, the reason why we got to stop and think about it is because the blessed man is the one who meditates on God's word day and night. And so, the psalmist says, Hey, before you move on to the next thing, I want you to remember the thing you just said that is, this, that if God is my refuge, if God is my strength, then I can have courage regardless of the circumstances of my life. How can I have this security? Because you don't focus on your circumstances. See, what what you and I do, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, what you and I do when we're going through times of crisis, we just fixate on the crisis. We fixate on the circumstances. And we start kind of nitpicking and and psychoanalyzing everything and everybody. We start blaming and all this stuff. Well, you know, my mom and dad wouldn't have done this when I was three. This wouldn't happen to me when I'm 30, you know? and we focus on the circumstances. What the Psalm is saying here, don't focus on your circumstances, focus on the truth. And here's the truth. Stay with me, y'all with me? Here's the truth. Write this one down. It sounds like a country song. Write this down, make a little note to remind yourself in case you didn't know. All right, here's what it is. George straight, baby, George straight. That's back when country was real country, right? Not this junk we got right now. I don't listen to it. I don't. All right. Where were we going? What were we talking about? Here's where we were. Here's the truth. You write this down, all right? Your circumstances do not define your life, God does. God's protection gives you security. That's point number one. We got two more. Number two, God's presence gives you joy. Y'all know there's a difference between happiness and joy? Happiness depends on what happens. Joy depends on the Lord. He says in verse number four that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, when he's writing here, this is why most scholars believe this is around the time of Hezekiah. Because the city of God, there's some double entendre there, but the city of God means the city of Jerusalem. And there's a river. So when the psalmist says there's a river in the city of Jerusalem, there wasn't a river. There is no river in the city of Jerusalem until one was made. Who made it? A guy named Hezekiah. Hezekiah, early on, built a, 1,777 foot tunnel from the spring Gihon all the way to what he would call, what we would know as the Pool of Siloam. And that would be what's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. It's one of the great ancient wonders of the world in architecture and waterworks. And what he did is he made a river, a man made river in the city of God. Now, why, you say, well, why in the world would he do that? He did that because in ancient days, if you were surrounded by your enemies, if you didn't have water, you are dead. And so he built a reservoir that the enemy could not touch, and it made them glad. Well, do you understand you got a reservoir? There's something about water, isn't there? Like think about what Naples would be if we didn't have the beach. You know what it would be? Arcadia. (laughs) And who wants to live there? (laughs) If you're from Arcadia, (laughs) we're glad you're here. But there's just something, there's a calming effect. Now, I'm sure scientists say, well, the reason why that water is, has a calming effect is because your, your evolutionary uh, body just knows that if you don't have water, you'll die. And so when your body sees water, you just feel happy because you know you're not going to die. That's not why. There's just something God made about water. It has a calming effect. That's why people spend a lot of money to live by the water. They want a vacation. When they vacation, they either like mountains or water, but even the places you go to the mountains have water. People will put elaborate pools by their homes so they can look at the water. So there's something about water that calms your soul. There's something about water that gives you joy. And so the psalmist says here that there's a river in the city of God that gives us joy. And what is it? Well, we just make sure we know it's the holy habitation of the most high. So again, double entendre there. That the river is a metaphor for the presence of God. Now, Revelation 22 talks about the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And in the heavenly city of Jerusalem, there is a river, a river of life that flows from the presence of God. And just because we may not understand this, the psalmist wants to doubly make sure that when he's talking about a river, here's what he's talking about. It's the presence of God. Verse five, God's in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her. He utters his voice. The earth melts. And so what the psalmist is saying is though all of hell breaks loose on the outside, nations raging, kingdoms threatening, the people of God, they're cool, calm, and collected because they are assured in the presence of God. The psalmist David says in Psalm 1611, in in your presence is the fullness of joy. Now, how does God's presence enter into our lives? God's presence enters into our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you have God inside of you. And having God inside of you is the secret reservoir and the fountain of living water that can keep you cool, calm, and collected when everything else falls apart. Jesus talked about this to the lady at the well in uh, John chapter 4, verse 13. Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John chapter seven, verse 38, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And John says, just in case you don't know what he's talking about, he said this about the Holy Spirit whom those who believe in him were to receive. There's just something that's different in believers than everyone else in the world. Right, that there's something inside of them that can't touch them, that nobody can touch, that a a bad diagnosis can't, can't touch, that a divorce can't touch, that financial ruin can't touch, that a disease can't touch. It's the spirit of the living God. And his spirit bears witness with our spirit and gives us love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That the Holy Spirit of God is Christ and the Christian. And the psalmist says in verse 7 that the Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of angel armies is with us. But he's not just with us. He's for us. You know, sometimes God will rescue you from your trouble. Do you understand that there are a thousand things that God is doing in your life and you may only be aware of three of them? That's what John Piper said, and I totally agree with him. Sometimes God rescues you from stuff you have no idea what he's rescuing you from. And sometimes God doesn't rescue you from stuff, he rescues you in stuff. But here's the one thing I want you to get, like don't get in the idea that the the Bible says that if you trust God and you believe in God, that you won't get into trouble. That's not in the Bible. The Bible does say, when you get in trouble, you know that God will be there with you. It's just the truth. And what the psalmist is saying is that God is with us in the darkest, scariest, fearful moments of our lives to let us know how much he loves us. You wanna know the worst place in the state of Florida? Y'all are thinking of names. The worst place in the state of Florida is found at SeaWorld in the ropes course, in the net course. There's a picture right here, let me just show you. That's the worst place in the state of Florida. It's also the hottest place. So back when my kids were little, we had annual passes at SeaWorld because they were cheaper. And I can't talk about that other place because I don't want any emails, all right? I'm talking about that. Just saying, just saying. You know, my assistant said me she said, it's been a while since you got some bad emails. <laughs> well, we're starting a new turn. <laughs> Here we go. So, so we go to SeaWorld. Here's why we go to SeaWorld. Because my kids wanted to go see Shampoo. <laughs> That's what they call Shamu. <laughs> and so they were little, and we would go, and in the ropes course here, like, it's, like, they, listen, insurance has made that thing an impenetrable fortress. It is as safe as you can. So what we did is, like, look, we just let our kids climb up in there. They were tall enough. We got tall kids, good stock. And they would climb up in there. And so me and April were sitting there at the bench. We were having a little... Downtime here. kids climb up in the rope course and, and they climb and they have a thousand of their closest friends, you know, this is kind of, and they climb up in there and inevitably, you'd hear the scream. And you know your kids scream, right? Like you can pick it out of a lineup of a thousand kids, you can hear your kid. And guess what happened? They got stuck in the rope course. They climbed up so high, it's scared them. So April looked at me. She said, well, I gave birth to them. <laughs> I got them out. <laughs> you got to keep them out. All right. <laughs> and, and so you got to take care of that. And so like this ropes course is not meant for six foot three guys. Just straight up. It's meant for shorter people. But I went up there, climbed up in there. And, and I got them, and, and they were all crying and snot and boogers and tears and whatever. And I looked at them and said, listen, you're not going to fall apart. You're going to be fine. And I'm with you. And so I went and followed them around the course. And guess what they did? They didn't stop and come back down. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We didn't go on to see shampoo. We went on for the next 30 minutes in the ropes course. And guess who was with them the whole time? Daddy. And guess what they never did again? Cry, why? Because my presence gave them joy. Do you understand that when you're in your darkest moment, when you're in your scariest situation, that your heavenly Father is right there with you and he's saying to you, you don't need to be afraid, I'm gonna go with you wherever you go. Because his presence gives us joy. Third thing, we're almost done. It's the longest point though. is that the psalmist says that his power gives us victory. So when you're going through trials, when you're going through testing, when you're going through crisis, you can understand that God's protection is gonna give you security. His presence is gonna give you joy, but his power is gonna guarantee you victory. Verse eight, come behold the works of the Lord. This is an invitation of the songwriter to, hey, reflect on all the cool stuff God's done in your life. We had a lady in my last church, she kept a journal. It was the top 10 things that God has done in her life, top 10 blessings that God has given her. And she would keep this journal updated all the time because she would reflect on this in her quiet time to remind her of all the good that God has done in her life. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. Come behold the works of the Lord. Verse 10, be still. That's the only time in the whole Hebrew Bible that that word be still in the Hebrew is written. It means to cease from striving, to surrender, to relax, to chillax. Come behold and chill out. The first is an invitation of the Psalm writer. The second, verse 10, is an invitation from God. And so he says, be still, know, reflect. So reflect on what? Well, there's some immediate context. There's a little story that was taking place here. You know, like, have you ever had like a God story? Like you tell people, man, this is what God did in my life and it was awesome. Anybody have a God story like that? Say amen. All right. So here's a God story. There's a dude named Hezekiah. As I told you before, he was a king. He started being the king of Judah at the age of 25. He was a godly man. The Bible says that he was one of the godliest kings ever. He destroyed the idols. He tore down the, st- the bad stuff. He, he, he got rid of all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, he got rid of it all. 14 years into his reign, so he's 39. I couldn't understand that age. He's a godly dude, but trouble came. Just because you're godly, just because you live for God doesn't mean trouble's not gonna come. King named Sennacherib, who was a king of Assyria. Assyria was like modern day Syria. It was over there, Babylon, Syria, all that place. They were big, they were mean, they were nasty. They had like the biggest army. They had the most chariots. They had all kinds of spears, all kinds of bows. They were trying to conquer the known ancient world. And so their strategy was to siege the city. So they come to the city of Jerusalem. King Hezekiah is in there. The people are in there. And they surround 185,000 people, surround this little town. This big or this big city. And what they tried to do is they were gonna to try to starve them out. But also they used propaganda. Do you understand that lying, deception, propaganda has been used by the enemy for years and years and years? And so they, they put, listen, there were all kinds of Facebook posts and Instagram posts, and there were these nasty emails being sent to the people that basically said this: here's what it said, all the, they were surrounded. The city was surrounded. And here's what the, here's what the, the says, stuff said. If you fight against us, you will be doomed. You will lose. Matter of fact, the Bible says, that. here's what they literally said. If you fight against us, you will be doomed to eat your own dung and drink your own urine. Don't get more graphic than that. But, you say, oh, that's in the Bible? Yes, it's in the Bible. But if you surrender to us, you'll be okay, you'll have peace. So we recommend to you, don't listen to King Hezekiah, don't trust in your God, surrender to us. Well, you're the king and you're hearing all this stuff and the people in the town are like, well, maybe we should surrender to this dude, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's gonna really do this stuff for us. And, you know, I don't wanna drink my own urine, and I don't wanna eat my own dung, I mean, let's, you know what, well, we gotta do something here. And so King Hezekiah is hearing this and so what did he do? What was his first thing, what did he do? The Bible says in in 2 Kings chapter 19, he went to the house of God and he sought out the prophet of God, Isaiah, to get a word from God. And he turned to the Lord. The Lord was his first response, not his last resort. And he gets down on his knees and he prays this. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah sought God's power as a testimony for his glory, God's glory in the world. Notice Hezekiah's prayer was not, God, do this for my sake. Mm -mm. God, do this for your glory. God, don't move in my life because I am good. God, move in my life because you are good. God, don't get me out of this situation to make me look great. No, God, get me out of this situation so that you will be greater in everyone's eyes. That's the prayers you pray. God responds. Verse chapter 19, verse 32. "Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He will not come into this city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it by the way that He came by the same He shall return." He shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake. For the sake of my servant David. That's a good word. That's pretty cool. Will it really happen? Well, verse 35. So Everybody goes to bed. Hezekiah goes to bed. Isaiah goes to bed. People go to bed. In the middle of the night, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord... Went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. Dead. Matter of fact, the people got up early in the morning, and it's quiet out here. Get out with their coffee, walking around, broken bows, broken spears. Chariots on fire over there. All these dead bodies. (laughs) They didn't do anything. All they did is go to sleep and God did it all. Do you understand that the battle is not yours, but the Lord's? And when someone messes with God's children, God takes it personal. Y'all smelling when I'm stepping in here. (laughs) Greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Because his children's battles are his battles. And here's the good news. His victories are our victories. And that's why, so that's that God moment. So maybe you don't have a moment where God killed 185,000 people, but maybe you've had a moment where God's really showed up and showed out. And so the psalmist says, hey, don't forget that. Behold the works of the Lord. Verse 10, be still and know that I'm God. It's an invitation. It's a twofold invitation. The first invitation is when God is saying here, be still, He's first speaking to the raging storm. He's saying, shut up. To whatever's bothering, do you understand that? Whatever is picking on you, whatever problem you have in your life, do you understand that God has the power to just snap his finger and end it all? But sometimes he doesn't do that. Sometimes God says, peace, be still, and the wind cease, and the waves stop, and everything goes to calm. Sometimes God does steal the storm outside of you. But the second invitation is to you and me. Sometimes God will say to the storm, shut up. But often what God says to you and me is chill out. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fight this battle. You don't have to fight this battle. If you've got cancer, you, you don't have to fight that battle. You just trust God and let him fight your battle. You're going through marriage issues. I'm not saying be passive but what I'm saying is is that you can just allow God to fight that battle. You keep showing up to the war and he'll keep fighting the battle. But it's all about choosing faith over fear. See fear says I am my refuge. Faith says God is my refuge. Be, being still and chilling out when all of everything seems to be falling apart that's scary because we're fixers. I'm a fixer. Y'all a fixer? I like to fix my own stuff. When I try to fix my battles, when I try to fix my problems, I'm choosing fear. Because you know what fear is? Stay with me. Fear is trying to control what you can't control. So I'm trying to bring control to chaos, but I can't. It just leads to more chaos. Faith says, no, God is my refuge. What I tell you earlier, one of my pastor friends said, the three most dangerous words are what? I got this. What's the three most dangerous words? I got this. He did. Or she did. Sorry, she did. You know what the three most comforting words are? God's got this. I got this. That's fear. God's got this. That's faith. Here's my question to you. How do you and I know God's got this? You're like, a preacher, I like what you're saying, but how do I know? Stay with me, we're almost done. Who fights our battles? God does. More specifically, someone else does. Verse 11 says that the Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts, God, Jehovah Sabaoth, is with us. The Lord of hosts, the God of angel armies, is the angel of the Lord who came down to the city of Jerusalem and killed 185,000 people. Tore up their bows, tore up their spears, burnt their chariots. Well, who's the angel of the Lord? He's also the one who wrestled Jacob. The God of Jacob wrestled Jacob Well, who's the angel of the Lord who killed the Assyrians? Who is the God who wrestled with Jacob? Who is Emmanuel, God with us? Answer Jesus. How do I know that God's got this? Because God already sent Jesus to do what we could not do for ourselves. And because God, through Jesus, defeated our greatest enemies. Your greatest enemies are not what you think they are. Your greatest enemies are sin, death, hell, and the grave. And Jesus obliterated them. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Jesus Christ conquered you all. If he could conquer my greatest enemies, then can I not chill out and see what else he's gonna do? To chill out means you got to surrender. That's, listen, that's my problem. I'm going to be straight up with you. I like to believe God's got this, but I still want to tinker with stuff. But to be still, it says, God, you got it, and I'm going to surrender. And some of you this morning, you think that's the worst thing I could ever do. I don't want to surrender because to surrender means I give up control. So some of y'all, you're trying to get to heaven by your own good works because you don't want to surrender. Because when you surrender and you say, God, I can't save myself, God, you saved me, you're losing control. But some of you, you know, if I if I surrender to God, I'm gonna give up stuff. Yeah. You know what you're gonna give up when you surrender to God? You're gonna give up fear. (laughs) You're gonna give up hopelessness. You're gonna give up loneliness. You're gonna give up abandonment. You're gonna give up defeat. You're gonna give up sin. And that's why giving up control to Jesus is the safest thing you can do. So be still. Cease from striving. Surrender to Jesus. And trust him to fight your battles. Are you ready to do that? Would you pray with me? If you're here in this room and you... You're in a battle and it's scaring you to death. I want you to pray with me a prayer of surrender. If you're here in this room and you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to pray with me a prayer of surrender. If you're here today and you're in a situation where you just do not know the way out, I want to give you an opportunity to be still and surrender. So if you're here today and you want to surrender, would you pray with me this prayer? Lord Jesus, I believe you are God. And I believe you are good. And you, God, are all that I need. And I ask that you forgive me for not trusting in you. And today, I'm going to listen to the words of God. And I'm going to surrender to you. Jesus, you can have it all. You can have all of my worries. You can have all of my fears. You can have all of my anxieties. You can have all of my hate and all of my anger. You can have all of my sin. I give it to you. Help me, God. To not pick it back up. Help me God. That when I am tempted to pick it back up. To keep throwing it back to you. Because fear. Is not my future. You are. In Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Fear is not your future. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's Word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at First, you have come to church. Go out and be the church. Have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.